we already got a, a call in from Josh. We'll get to calls in a second. Um, but we'll definitely be opening things up to anyone who wants to jump in here. Um, first, before we get started, um, I just wanted to say a quick small thing about um, our friend Jonathan Charks, who, who passed away, um, I believe it was over the weekend. Um, I remember seeing the news right before kickoff, basically, at the Eagles game. And um, I don't know. Spike, I know, I, know you, I heard a shout-out you gave to him um, back when he first, I don't know, went into hospice care on, on the Ricky. Um, but I just – I went back and looked through – our texts, mine and Jonathan's, um, while everything was happening. And the last time I heard from him was him making fun of someone uh, aggregating something I said in the show, quoting the, the title, which, um, I don't know. It's just, he was just a silly, smart, insightful guy. Um, I was sitting in the media row um, in Vegas, at one point in summer league and turned to my right and all of a sudden he was just there and came up to say hello. And I was like, very, very glad that it happened. Um, it was a highlight of my summer league and I don't know, just, just a tough loss. I just, I don't know. I wanted to say something about the guy. It's like, I don't know. Did you have anything you wanted to say or do you want to just jump into Philly so, talk? So I, I didn't know John at all. I think we exchanged two emails, one prior to him being sick and one while he was sick. And, um, you know, like it, I would, I would say it hit me for three reasons. One, given that he is just sort of one of us in that same way, you know, the, the that whole, the whole internet basketball, uh, group of folks who talk about all this stuff far too much. And he always did it in a really clean and insightful way. The other thing I thought was that he, um, you know, Everyone had such nice things to say about him, um, even previous to him getting sick. Um, he just seemed like a, a wonderful dude. But the thing that I actually remember the most directly is I remember once, uh, and I don't think I've ever said this before. So I remember once clicking on the link in his bio, and the link in his bio was to his religious writing. And it wasn't to the ringer stuff. And it never... I, I've never, I, I grew up pretty much religionless. Like my parents are Jewish, but like I didn't, um, I never had anything. And um, I was always searching for somebody to, to, to say things about religion in a way about God that would make sense to me. And he wrote it in such a uh, convincing, sure way. And he didn't write it to convince people, but he wrote it in a, uh, like he almost understood it and wrote it in a, in a similar way to the way that he wrote about uh, basketball. And I would say that his writing about it made me more interested in God and more interested in religion. And um, I, I think you could see his wife's writing about that sort of stuff in their um, in her in her caring bridge thing, where. They, they, I felt like she wrote about it all in such a graceful, approachable way, both about him and his, uh, him as a person and his illness, and how their connection to religion was uh, was important. And uh, you know, it, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing um, for them to lose a husband and a dad, and for people to lose a friend. But he clearly made such a positive mark on on everybody he interacted with, and. Uh, you know, it stinks that 
Um, it usually takes something bad to happen to somebody um, for people to vocalize the things they like about them. But I do think it was, it's been sort of almost an inspirational week about the way that they've talked about them and sort of the difference that it proves that you can make in people's lives if you're a good person. So yeah. that for, for somebody who does not know Jonathan Sharks, aside from his writing and um, I, I think a, a hello or something about his basketball writing, I thought he was, um, I thought it was a, uh, it was nice to see the outpouring about him over the last week. Yeah. Um, I probably should have given you a heads up. I wanted to say that beforehand, but uh, thanks for, for sharing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was a, he was a great dude. And um He'll be missed. So anyway, I just wanted to take that second out. Uh, moving on to NBA talk. And you know, I, I really did want to avoid talking Sixers for a long time on the show, just being that it's been a lot of Sixers for everyone, for yourself in particular, Spike. Um, but I mean, this la- for all from the start of your podcast in 2013-ish, whatever it exactly was, and the start of the Sam Hankey era to now, Obviously, every season has been its own book-worthy, uh, you know, turn of events. I feel like honestly, the last twelve months or so, from really Ben Simmons' trade, you know, roughly longer than that, but from his trade request through even the fact that now, you know, when, when I asked a couple people today, or when I just chucked in with some people today about the Robert Sarver stuff, the next thing a lot of people said was, "All right, well, what's happening with Philly's investigation now? Like the six, these these Sixers are just." They're they're in the news. They are top of mind. Things are going to happen, um, but there was a lull in uh, programming of the news cycle until this Phoenix thing hit. Um, and I don't know. There's some things I would like to specifically ask you about. Just knowing uh, as an active avid listener of the Ricky myself, um, and thinking sometimes as I'm listening, oh, I'd love to throw this question in there. Um, but I guess after that preamble. Generally, is there is there a thread hanging from this Sixers picture that you are most curious if it got tugged, how things would unspool? Or are you just kind of looking at this as a collection of a lot of shit going on and we're just going to see what happens when they're all on the court? I think I'm most interested. Let me see. I am most interested to see what becomes of. Joe, excuse me. <laughs> that is not good for podcasting. Uh, it's <laughs> what's going on here, Jake? What'd you do to me? I, I stopped it's another it. Sixers, another Sixers problem. I think the thing that I'm most uh, interested in is to see how Embiid uh, evolves, honestly, over the next two or three years. I, you know, for I know I know that sounds curious to a lot of people because it's pretty obvious that he's you know he's been the MVP runner-up over the last couple of years. And has has become the, in my opinion, the best center in basketball. But in the playoffs, he he breaks too often, right? And and he he seems to when things are getting tough, he seems to not, you know, that that stupid phrase when the when the going gets tough, the tough get going. He doesn't seem like he's done that, and he's been great. And when you look at the numbers, they've been they've been fine, but. You could just tell by watching it from a body language standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, all of those things. I think you could, I, like, I, I want to see if he breaks through in that way. And I don't know that that means a championship or even a finals appearance, but I think we would know it when we see it. 
it's obviously interesting to see how Harden bounces back, but I think there's a little bit less question in that. I mean, most times uh, guards who rely on burst don't turn back the clock at 34 years old after they have a hamstring injury that takes a year and a half to heal. You know, it, it doesn't, I think he'll be fine, but I think the the possibility of him becoming what people are hoping is probably pretty low. And I think that the, the, the regular season uh, performance that they'll have is, pretty predictably good and that the postseason has the predictable issues to it. So I think out of all of those things, the thing that I'm most curious about and most interested about is, is Embiid and what he, what he becomes and figuring out when they trade Tobias Harris. But I think the Embiid thing is number one. <laughs> yeah. I, I know you've been, you, you, you've held Joel to a high standard, if I can say that. And uh, look, the, 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 the harsh reality is he has not gotten the team out of the second round. Obviously, there's the four bounces and other things here and there, but that that is where things stand. And I do think, you know, and so with someone I was talking to earlier today, like they are kind of amongst league people. I think kind of slept on a bit too heading into this year, being that they're just they're, they're really not considered that Eastern Conference juggernaut like Milwaukee and Boston are like to a man when you talk to people. And I, I think that might be because of the fact that maybe the, the bark is a little bit louder or whatever the expression is with the bite. And like, this yeah. is a team that's great on paper. Um, I don't know. The Harden stuff was what I really wanted to ask you about. Cause I, I know from listening that you're skeptical that he's going to refine or find whatever type of MVP level footing he had in Brooklyn for a bit. There are a lot of people who, are around him and have, you know, the Rockets tree people have all said dating back to when the Sixers first traded to him. I've just heard nonstop about that once the hamstring gets, can get back and everyone talks about how this off season is the first real full off season since COVID to rest up. And he's locked in in these scrimmages of Rico Hines back in LA. I am also skeptical, but I, I mean, it doesn't sound. It has sounded beyond the enthusiasm for him. Has sounded beyond the typical off season. He's locked in. He's added ten pounds of muscle. I do wonder if part of it is that there's a a, a need, I guess, in theory, to set up the payday that people are expecting him to get after this contract expires, right? Um, but I don't know. I, I do think that what he is is so fascinating for the course of the entire Eastern Conference, let alone this team, being that we, 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 I kind of feel like we know what, what we're going to get out of Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. I'm like, a re- like I, I can't see either of those guys taking a massive, massive leap forward this year. I, I, in my, my group text with a bunch of my high school buddies, they were all asking, like, how much better can Maxey get from three? The guy shot, like, over 40% off the dribble. Like, sure, he can fine-tune his only – and it's, you know, he, he's still on a rookie deal. But in terms of, like, real ceiling moving of this team, I don't know how much more those guys can bring than what they brought last year. Harden, to me, is the swings piece, especially being that – and we can get into this part later. But if there is a Bradley Beal or a big third-star opportunity, just like with Kevin Durant coming available this summer – 
Like, I would have to think Tyrese Maxey is, is the name that the other team would want. And that is, that is an, uh, an ongoing conversation with this team as they move forward into the season, being that Daryl Moore is their, their lead executive. You know, I, I, the thing you said about Maxey is interesting because I remember a podcast years ago. I don't know why I remember this moment, but I remember Bob Volgaris being on with Bill Simmons, and they're talking about Tatum, I think, after his rookie year or something. And, and Simmons said, can you imagine how good he's going to get? And he had just shot some like ridiculous percentage from three, maybe it was after his second season. And Bob Volgaris said like, well, how, how much better do you think he can shoot? You yeah. know, th- there, there, there might be parts of his game that are already at the level that they're going to be. Like, I think obviously Maxi and Luka Doncic are different things and different players, but to a certain extent, I think the same thing about, Doncic, I, there are some players that hit a peak earlier than other players do. Um, and it just makes you think they're just always going to continue to get better. Like, Tyrese Maxey might be a better player this year with worse numbers from a shooting standpoint. You know, he'll, he's going to attract defenses in a way that he didn't last year. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I, think, I think from a shooting standpoint, he, and I agree with you basically that the odds of him taking a leap and becoming a star level player that you are going into the playoffs saying, here is somebody who's going to lead us to a title at this point is probably unlikely. And he would be the key piece in, uh, in a trade like that. Um, you know, I've, it, having worked in music and in sports now, I've heard, I also heard the music version of uh, 10 Pounds of Muscle in the off season. The music version <laughs> was always in rock music. It was like, this is it. We finally went back to our roots and did like the heaviest album we've done in years. And then you listen to it and you're like, shit, man, it sounds just like <laughs> the last three records. I, I just, it would be neat if James Harden turned back the clock and all those things. It just doesn't seem like something that, is likely or you should count on. I think all of the the decks are stacked against it. And 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 the one thing, it would be great. I I would be happy. I'm not I'm not rooting against it to happen, but it seems unlikely to me. And I think the one particular thing that we've forgotten is just how horrible he was in the last <laughs> couple of games against Miami. I mean, he, he wanted no parts of that series. He, he was doing the same thing Simmons did for, for the, 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 in the last game. It was, a, it was a stunning, stunning, stunning display of not wanting the series, not wanting to advance in the playoffs. I, I don't think he wanted to play anymore. And I, I just... That compared with the combined with the playoff failures, combined with that how he's looked physically over the last couple of years, com, combined with how he's historically taking care of his body, it's sort of like I'm glad he's taking care of his body this off season. But you can't eat junk food for 40 years and then eat a salad one day and all of a sudden be healthy, right? Like I don't, I, maybe the damage has already been done, even if he's doing those things. Um, all that said, even at his level, he's He's a, a obviously a plus player. He just can't be the wing player that that leads you to a championship. I, I don't think right now. I, I would be I would be pretty surprised if that happened. Well, based off of what unfolded after that series, um, it definitely sounded like 
the Sixers don't really have much optimism that Matisse Tybel can be a starting level player on a championship team either. Like that transition. Um, and he, was, he was in a lot of trade talk. And I mean, they're, uh, everyone I spoke with today pretty much was of the assumption that he is going to continue to be in trade conversation up until the deadline. And it's just a big way the transaction wheel in the NBA spins nowadays is ahead of a rookie contract expiring, especially, but at any contract expiration where the incumbent team just does not view that player as worthy or worthwhile for what their next upcoming price is going to be. And Tybal seems to be a direct case of that. I would be very shocked if he signed an, ext- an extension before the season started. Crazy things have happened, but that's not something I, I am prepared for whatsoever. Um, I mean, I know Portland and Dallas, and there was some talk about Houston, and I think before the Brogdon trade happened, there was some conversation there with Philly to send Tybal to the Pacers. I don't know exactly who would have come back. I, I would think Buddy Heald or Brogdon would have been the two logical pieces that Philly was calling about, but I don't have that on, like, the most finalized footing, let's say. But, I mean, it seems pretty clear that if if Daryl Moore's front office could find, like, a Trevor Ariza of old to swap in for that position, a, a real two-way wing who can be a, a three-point threat around, around – I keep saying around side – alongside those two um, stars in, in James and, and Joel and with Tyrese obviously in the fold, like that's what their goal would be. Um, is is that something that you're on board with, Spike? Do you think that he may have maxed out in whatever his role is and just this is the business and, and, and team accounting gets difficult when you've got three max contracts on your books? If Maxi has been the positive version of surprised about development. I think Thibel has been the negative one. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't gotten better at all, at all. And I think when you look back and you look at his senior year, when he went to Washington, right? And he, a senior, a, a, a senior first round pick, unless you're some big center or something, scoring eight points a game or whatever he scored has to be a sign that there's a, a offense problem somewhere. It just has to be. If if you're a wing in college and you played four years, you just you have to score more than eight points a game. And I think the the shooting has been. I, I would say the number one, the number one disappointment in Thibault has been the shooting because it is the one thing that if he had figured out, if he had shot a million threes, you know, each off season he's been here, if he had fixed that it would have made all of his other flaws so much easier to swallow. But when you have the shooting along with the fact that he has, he has like these weird brain farts on both offense and defense that make you think that he's not paying attention or he's, he's flighty or I I don't know personality wise what he's like, but he just seems like he's not totally engaged. And even defensively, he's spectacular, but he's not, he's not like a guy that you lean on for, for, for any length of time. He creates turnovers and all those things. But as far as an on ball guy, he gets, he gets, um, he, he dies on screens constantly. Um, he has not put on any weight. He's no stronger than he was, you know, a few years ago. They want to trade him. They can trade him. 
you know, I, 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 I'm stunned to think that he would have value at this point or any real value. I, I remember, I remember when Zach Lowe said that he voted for him first team all defense. And I was like furious. I was like, <laughs> you can't vote for a guy first team all defense who can't stay on the floor. You just can't. I don't, I don't care how good he is defensively. You can't, you can't, he's not an all defensive player. If he can't be on the floor, uh, I have been so pleasantly surprised by Maxi, and he's been so encouraging and exciting. And Thibault has been the absolute uh, opposite of that. So for whatever they could get for him, I think it would be, I would be absolutely fine with that. And if he does have value, um, then I, I think they should find that value. But he has to be, more. he has to be pretty careful, right? Because how many moves do you have? That's right. I mean, they're, they're, they're operating on a thinner margin than other teams just being that a, a lot. And also, like, the picks situation is, is pretty scarce, too. And yep. Bro- Bro- Brooklyn's certainly looking at, and we can get to this part later, but Brooklyn's certainly looking at Doc being a uh, a curious figure in, in NBA circles. Montrez Harrell having been essentially traded away from Washington. I, I don't have specifics, but... I, I think uh, discontentness in the locker room, if you will, was a big reason for him being sent to Charlotte at the trade deadline. Like Brooklyn's definitely looking at Philly with their pick and hoping that they will be worse than they were last year, obviously. Um, but to your, to your point about Tybal's value, yeah, I mean, if he had greater value, trades already like the Sixers right. had conversations with him about him with basically every team I mean I hadn't his name was mentioned as often as John Collins as was with Atlanta um and I think that's a pretty good comparison to bring up being that I mean both those situations seem to be pretty you know, the motivations are pretty obvious and a deal just couldn't get done so the, the, the logical explanation is well there wasn't a deal to be had that was really worth that team's while. And clearly that means they're valuing them at above what the rest of the market is. Yeah. Well, and I think you can, every, every deal that they haven't made, you know, I, I think you could say, I think you could say the same thing about Harris too, about what the the value is, you know, or, or lack thereof or negative value. Um, they really have, so they have one pick they can trade, right? The 20 to 29 first. And they have Maxi. And they have Thibel if there's any value there. Um, and then all they really have as salary is Harris, who may be a negative, like who, who would cost you, right? I mean, it would cost you at least a first round pick to get off of that. So um, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, I, I, have, I have faith in, in Maury. I really do. But man, he's trying to... It's a very, very thin line between success and failure. I guess it always is, but he has to, he has to really, really, you know, it's like a seven ten split here, <laughs> a bowling reference. It's like he just he has to do it perfectly and find the right team at the right time. And it is then that I appreciate his patience, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before the the Mountain deal, which I think I know Mike's a huge fan of that. It's definitely kind of an under-the-radar acquisition outside of the Philly landscape. I think, like, in the national landscape, league-wide, and people just talking about moves from the summer, I don't. I think that's kind of 
not gotten it due, being that Melton's a, a pretty damn good player. But yeah, before mm-hmm. that deal went down, like they were taking twenty three and Harrison Bar or and Tobias and trying to go get like Harrison Barnes from Sacramento, and they definitely had multiple conversations over the last bunch of months with Atlanta trying to pawn off Tobias there from the beginning of those, those Ben Simmons conversations. So he's going to be talked about too. And it's interesting being that like he is at the end, at the end of the day, still a valuable or, or like a necessary piece in terms of them having success. Like they do need him to be a good version of Tobias Harris, which it kind of was through certain stretches of the playoffs in order to like maximize this team, if he's going to be on the roster, like it just kind of, it is so funny how funny may not, might not be the right word, but from like a, just an objective chair, looking at things, it is just kind of silly that on one hand, it does seem pretty clear. They're just trying to get him out the door, but if he is there, like they still need him. Like that's just a pretty bizarre concept. Yeah. Well, it, it must be awkward for him. Right. I mean, he did, for a stretch there, to your point, you know, one of the things that he had not done previously was have a quick trigger from three. Like he's just not comfortable shooting quickly off the catch. And he, you could tell he was uncomfortable, but he did it. But he's, there's just, there's just no way. <laughs> there's, it's just not who he is. I actually believe that they would be better if he just wasn't on the team. Like if, if they started Harden, Maxi, Melton, Tucker, and Bede, I would rather play that. You know, I, mm. I don't, I, I think, I think Tobias Harris on the right team at the right time could operate sort of the way a forward version of a six man, right? You need somebody to, to run, pick and roll a little bit and shoot and, and score some points and he's fine. But he, he's this weird thing where, he is a talented player, but it if he's doing what he needs to do to show that he's good and show his talent, it almost like bogs your team down if he's doing it too much. Um, he's just not not outstanding at it enough, and his offense seems to like almost suck the life out of the team a little bit. So I think he, I almost wonder if he's if he wants. Does, like I, I think there's a possibility he doesn't want to be here either. I don't think he wants to stand in the corner and jack, you know, eight corner threes a game. Like I don't think that's what he wants to do, and that's what they're best off with him doing. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I wrote about this back in uh, back in the draft cycle. Like there was definitely talk from his side of things that there, there was there was a desire to play more on ball and be a pick and roll and. Uh, it just that those opportunities aren't there on this team. They're not going to be, especially when um, Maxi continues to take steps forward and Melton is going to really play a lot more on ball than I think people are expecting in non-James Harden lineups. Shake's still supposed to be something, right? Like, I just... Yeah. I really don't see Tobias getting the pick-and-roll ball handling opportunities that he purportedly wants to get. So, and... He definitely, I mean, his contract is up at the end of next season, at the end of 23-24, which, and that's not too soon to start thinking about that type of stuff in the NBA. That That is a major reason why the Spurs moved DeJounte Murray, because they knew when he was up in 2024, they didn't want to be caught in a similar situation to Dallas with Jalen Brunson, where 
they were only going to be able to offer him 120% of his max and they weren't going to be able to before he became an unrestricted free agent. They expected he would want to go elsewhere. They didn't think he was worth the max, so they trade him two years in advance. Like, you, you got to like rest assured that any team in any conversation that would get serious down the line about taking him on would be well aware from conversation with representation, what have you, that he's looking for another big payday too. So that's probably um, another deterrent in making any deal. I mean, it would probably have to take like a perfect stroke of circumstances and players becoming available and a a team's success or failure in my eyes to really have a, a deal where he goes out the door before it becomes an expiring contract next year. Yeah, I can't believe it's almost he's almost an expiring contract. These almost. these Sixers years just they they eat into my soul and they all blend together. <laughs> I remember when he signed the deal, and here we are talking about yeah, you know, after this year he's expiring. I can't believe it. It's stunning. <laughs> um, I I yeah, I don't. It only takes one team, but that team's got to have what you want. You know, it it only. I'm sure there's a team in the NBA that wouldn't mind having Tobias Harris, but do they have the the means to to make that happen? So, and there's just this one thing that I've argued with Mike about on the the pod is like he continually <laughs> talks about the pluses of Harris, and I just I don't think the pluses make any sense for this particular team. And I if if you could if you could just I mean, that's what amnesty was. If you if the, if there was still an amnesty clause and you could amnesty Tobias Harris, I would do it in a second. I'm not saying these conversations have happened, to be clear. But if the Lakers were willing to throw a pick, would you swap him for Russ? Well, just to cut Russ. You can't have Russ on the team, I don't think. Yeah, but then you get, yeah. then you, you get off the books. Yeah, you, and you're, you you're off, the off the books a year early. earlier and you get a pick. Yeah, I would do that. I would do that and then just cut them. That's what I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Last thing before we get to our caller of Josh, because I know from being an avid Ricky listener that you are not high on Doc Rivers. I'm curious. Is there someone out there, a rumored candidate or just anyone that you would prefer they go get if in theory he were to be exiting stage left at some point? I actually, I don't think he matters that much to be totally yeah. honest. It's a, it's a fun talking point on the podcast. It really is. <laughs> uh, it, it's like his and, and him being an, an asshole in, in press conferences, my words, not yours, but him being an asshole and talking <laughs> down to people and, and those sorts of things make it funny to to rip on him because I know he, uh, he it's not like he listens to our podcast, but he definitely hears the whispers, which I think is funny to me. It makes me want to do it more. But I've, I've always just sort of been a, we complain about coaches too much when the team doesn't win and we celebrate them too much when they do. And I think Doc Rivers is a incredibly fine average coach probably (laughs) that if the team was good enough, maybe like, maybe maybe like, I don't think he's elevating them to a series they shouldn't win. And I think he's probably not, hurting them so much in a series that they should. 
and 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 them losing it. Like they should have lost to Miami last year. Losing to Miami was not Doc Rivers' fault, and losing to Atlanta was not Doc Rivers' fault either. You know, so um, I there's no one that I think of. I mean, Sam Cassell's right there. <laughs> he, see, uh, but but also, if Sam Cassell was a good option, maybe he would have a gig right now. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's why so are, hard. Why to are Sixers fans? My high school buddies are dying for Sam Cassell. Like, this is not to besmirch Sam Cassell. I'm just curious, like, why is it just because he used to play in the NBA and he's sitting right there? Well, it's sort of like the backup quarterback thing is that is yeah. that when, you know, when he's there, you're like, okay, I know who he is. Seems like a good guy. Players seem to like him. And I don't know anything that he does wrong. So he must. So, <laughs> and, and that's sort of like the, the coach thing, you know, right? I mean, we, we see them. They're sort of like offensive lineman in a way in that like you hear you think about it you think about the most when they fuck up so sam Cassell doesn't screw up ever so because he, he can't he's assistant coach so i think that's probably why i think it's just like in anybody but but doc type of situation you know i think people yeah. and he's just i you know it's a shame that he's so bad in press conferences because i think people would be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt they did when he got here and, and they're not now. And he sort of like talked his way out of the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't know when that changed because there was a time it was at Barclays center. So definitely post 2016 after I had come to New York post college and he was with the Clippers. Um, and he was standing behind the whole backdrop thing they do with the local TV uh, insignia and the team logo and all that stuff and he was just holding court telling funny stories making people laugh and I was sitting there thinking to myself this guy should host like a late night sports talk show like everyone yeah. seems to love him he's got all these stories and then somewhere along the line the the, sw- the flip the switch seemed to flip and it is not that anymore like I think there is Every now and then he gets a little jokey and he's got that, like, come sit on my knee, grandkids laugh and talk some things. But the contentiousness was not, didn't used to be there. I wonder, I wonder when well, that, maybe, maybe it was after that, their, their collapse in the playoffs. No. He might just be fucking tired, to be honest with you. Like, he, <laughs> he, well, I mean, he's got, he's got all the money he needs, I assume. Right. I mean, it would be hard. He would have had to mismanage it if he if he if he was needed money right now. He's won a championship as a head coach. He had a great career as a player. He like I don't know how old he is, early 60s or, or something like at that He's six age, years old on, on the dot. There you go. So like so I'm 46 and I don't even move that far. I moved from Philly to New York in the like in the prime of my professional career and he i'm exhausted right and i didn't even move far and i'm 20 years younger than him like i just can't imagine at that age just being like i'm gonna move across the country in this <laughs> fucked up crazy situation and by the way started it at a very tough time you know starting it at the um like the, the in a in a COVID season where and and by the way has not built any relationships with media probably because the beginning of this he wasn't seeing anyone he, he wasn't near anyone for so long 
And I just, it just has to be, you get here and fucking Ben Simmons won't shoot and Joel Embiid is questionable every game and the fans are fucking annoying and I'm annoying and Mike's annoying and like the press is annoying. And he just has to think to himself, why am I doing this? Like what, what, like, what do I need this for? All these people questioning me, I had a good career. What do I have to prove? And I just think there's probably something in him that is just like, why am I even doing this? And maybe that's why it went away. He just doesn't have the time or the wherewithal or the patience to deal with anybody anymore. Yeah. And beyond that, um, when Dale gets hired after him, immediately the whispers are swirling that, him and Daryl yeah. exactly in Boston or that you know, Daryl doesn't think he's an elite head coach and the Mike D'Antoni rumors were there from the get-go. There was even there was even gossip, if you will, that they were going to throw Doc under the bus for the Game 7 Collins and fire him to as a peace offering to get Simmons to come back last year. Obviously, that didn't happen, but that was like a rumor going around. So he's he, if I'm hearing it, he's probably hearing it too. Yeah, I would have to think that's probably not a uh, not ideal when you're as tired as you already explained. So, um, yeah. oh. all right, we're going to Josh. Josh, you've been waiting ever so patiently. What's going on? Josh is still Josh. muted. He is still muted. There he is. Can you guys hear me? What's up, yes, Josh? Yes, sir. Hey Jake, uh, thanks for having me, man. Um, uh, my question is uh, is about the Lakers. Just curious if uh, <laughs> you heard any rom- rumors about Rob Pelinka talking to any potential teams in the last week or so. No, these people, I mean, Jake. These people are so thirsty for the rumors. They need the, the rumors. Josh is a Josh is a is a regular caller, and uh, you know we we had a that's a bunch of Lakers talk last week, um, and with, with Dom and Rangula, and uh, I mean to be honest, I have not made a single call about the Lakers since then, and nothing's come across my radar, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just asked the rush question to you, Spike. Like, but there aren't many teams who have it. Tobias Harris are trying to get rid of who the Lakers also would think. I mean, in that scenario, like, would the Lakers even think that Tobias makes them that much better? Maybe. I don't think so. I, I, I think that they're – I mean, Kyrie was kind of something that they thought was a real likelihood, and then it quickly became clear it wasn't. Um, and they're still trying to – I mean, everything I heard is the Lakers want to um, – they want to keep flexibility next summer to have cap space to go and get a Kyrie or whoever is available and interested. So. That's they've got a strict rubric to make a deal happen, and it doesn't sound like Utah's in any rush at all. So I don't think like Bogdan Bogdanovich and Mike Conley are coming anytime soon, especially with that second round pick thing we talked about, or, or second first round pick where the Lakers have been unwilling to do that. So yeah, I mean, it's like they're they're not in a good spot, right? Like you're probably sitting here as just the NBA observer, not too bullish on the Lakers opportunities to, to make this roster any better. No, I, and I, it, to me, it's super interesting because I think if you, when the final Lakers uh, era, the, the LeBron Lakers era is written, 
what will it look like, right? Because every year that passes, because they're not going to be good this year. Who are we kidding? So, so every year that passes, that one championship, which happened with three months off before the playoffs, no one in the crowd, and played at Disney World, that is the, <laughs> the, the one positive season they've had. Right. I mean, have they, they haven't even, have they even won a playoff round? They've missed the playoffs twice. No. Right. In the, the other. They want to play in game. Do you give them credit right. for that? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, just if, if you were to, if, if you were to, I guess, if you were to take the team name away and LeBron's name away and look at the entire body of work that he's been there and look at the players that have gone out and the, the picks that have gone out and what has come in, and that the one championship has sort of like suspect situation around it. And if you remember, like, let's say you didn't even know about COVID. And let's say I told you that the, the one championship they won, they had three months off before they played the playoffs and they played at Disney <laughs> World in front of no fans. You'd be like, well, that doesn't sound like a normal thing. And I just think every year that they push this m- makes his – his Lakers legacy look more like fraught. <laughs> I, I just, I, I think it overall, it looks bad. Look at all the, the picks and players everywhere, helping everyone else that, that were either there or, or, you know, were picks that could have been there. I don't know. It's a really, um, really interesting situation. If they don't win that bubble title, really, really interesting situation. It is his Lakers time. If they don't win that. It's also been clouded by the fact that getting Anthony Davis to come play there alongside him was supposed to be this big victory, being that it was going to be a bridge into the next Lakers era, right? Like that was the idea yeah. way back when, when the Lakers traded for Dwight. Um, yeah. To to play with Kobe, ride out a couple of, of contending years with Kobe, and then they would put the franchise on his hulking shoulders and – AD obviously hasn't been able to hold up his end of the bargain health-wise um, to the point where, like, anyone around the Lakers, when you ask them, like, what's the deal this year? They all talk about, well, you know, if we're healthy, if we're healthy, if we're healthy. And that's just, I mean, everyone has that if. So if that's your if, that that is a precarious footing to be on. Um, yeah. We are going to go to Raphael. Raphael. Please feel free to unmute yourself. Hey guys, thanks for taking the call. Yeah. So yeah. my my question was really quick. If you, if you look at the Sixers roster, it almost seems like there's two different teams right now for all the offseason pickups. You have basically, you know, the Sixers team from last year, pre-Harden, which maybe I guess you could say Harden in sort of the Seth Curry role. And then you have sort of the, the Houston Hardens. So do you guys think that, that, that that's sort of what, what it's going to be like? You're going to have the starters and then the bench unit instead of the, you know, five-player bench mob that Doc likes to play is going to be the, just the Houston Hardens? I'll prefer to start I, first. It's, a, it's a, a good thought, right? I mean, it would be a better, a better bench mob than the Sixers have had. It's been like just a, a, I guess, a bench built around Harden with him playing with Montrez Harrell. And I guess the the problem is, is that James Harden can't play 42 minutes a game. So <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I, I, I wonder what it looks like with, without him. 
Um, and it, it will be interesting to see if Doc does stagger and bead and harden or if he sort of handcuffs them together uh, to see whether whether Harden gets a lot of those minutes with the bench mob or whether they, they do it differently. Doc certainly isn't one to change his, his strategy, though, so that would be different. Yeah, I'm curious if he staggers them as well, especially being that if that's the case, then Montrezl Harrell will be the backup big, obviously, and a Harden-Harrell pairing and pick and rolls, while great on offense, would defensively be uh, quite a proposition for the Sixers. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very, I am curious to see how the Houston Harden sees that 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 verbiage ends up assimilating into this situation, being that. It it is. I'm not saying I'm worried about it, but it is a recipe to be combustible potentially. In that there was already a tug and pull before the Harden stuff went down of a whose team is this Joel versus Ben, and I, I mean, I do think that everyone's kind of on board here, but there's been one guy who's really been not placated, but you know just this team has been very much more so built in the image of James Harden than Joel Embiid over the last six months. Um, so I, I will be curious to see how, how that all unfolds. Yes. I do think I agree with you. I said at one point on the pod that the off season looked like it was built to get Harden and another contract, not a, not a title, but those things being built as a James Harden team versus a Joel Embiid team. I don't think those two things are particularly mutually exclusive, right? I mean, For sure. I, I, I think PJ Tucker is a helpful Embiid player. Uh, Melton is a helpful Embiid player. <laughs> Daniel House is, is a two-year guaranteed $4 million a year contract for some reason, but I think he is <laughs> not, he's not not a, an Embiid player. I, the Rockets, the I, Rockets waived Daniel House, and because they had no trade opportunity for him at all before you popped them up, and then he got a two-year guaranteed deal. Yeah, it's weird. It's a little weird. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know that. I think the only thing that they're they're missing that would help him beat is just they still don't have somebody in crunch time of a playoff game on the wing who can go get shots. They just don't. And you saw, now maybe we were talking about Maxi's improvement this year. Yeah. He looked a little, he looked a little lost, right? Doing that last year when it wasn't hard and they gave it to Maxi and Ma it was the one point where Maxi just didn't look like he was up to it yet. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe he, he just didn't have moves, it seemed like. He he didn't really know what to do. And maybe that's where we see the maxi improvement in is situations like that. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, our last question for my guy, Baller SP, with a very colorful avatar photo. What's up, Baller SP? <laughs> Yo, Jake, how you doing? How you doing, Spike? What's up, man? Yeah, so I was actually initially going to ask um, about the dynamic between um, the, you know, the old guard of the Sixers versus the new Houstonized team. But you kind of covered that. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, it's, it's something that I do think is very interesting because, you know, even up in the front office, you have Daryl and Tad Brown, Harden, all those guys. So I, I hope that Joel still sees it as his team 
Um, but my other question, um, so as, as you look at the roster right now, at 17 players, I know everyone gets the feeling that there's going to be a consolidation trade because of that. What are your thoughts or what are you hearing about that? Um, and if not, is it literally just going to be a situation of they cut two guys? I mean, Jake would know that better than I would. I, they, but they do have four of those guys are on not fully guaranteed deals, too. I mean, I, I think a consolidation trade would make sense, but Queen and Reed and Bassey and Isaiah Joe are all on non-fully guaranteed deals. So it is, they are cuttable. Well, now, I have to think if Bassie, we're going to... Sorry. Oh, sorry. If we're going to be adults here, I mean, the first player who should be cut <laughs> is... Is Jaden Springer? We got to be honest. Oh, he's just—he's—I mean, we got to be real. I get it. He was a first-round pick, but he's not going to produce on his contract on the championship team. I didn't hear words. Have a, a pass. Yeah, I. I... Your point was Jaden Springer. Mike and I uh, talk about Jaden Springer a lot because Mike is is pretty optimistic, and when I watch him, he doesn't he just doesn't he doesn't look like a baseball player or a basketball player to me. He doesn't look like an NBA player. He doesn't do anything well enough to play in the NBA right now. So I don't think they're going to cut him though. I mean, first round pick on a guaranteed deal. I don't think they're going to cut him. <laughs> that would be funny yeah. though. I would be worried. If I was Charles Bassey, um, that's not to say that I have that on any like authority, but just like reading the tea leaves, yeah, he was he was not really in the rotation at all, and they just brought in uh, a backup center who was very different than Paul Reed, as we saw um, with Doc's backup center rotation. Like he's basically got his two options: he's got a shorter small ball guy, and PJ Tucker will be involved there too, and. Um, and there's Paul Reed, who's the pogo stick-ish rim protector, right? So, um, I unless Bassett can take a step ahead of Paul Reed, which it doesn't seem like that's really been happening, I would think that's uh, a potential outcome. And then in terms of the consolidation stuff, like we talked about at the top, um, I, I really would expect Tybal to be one of the names most often mentioned on the trade market between now and the deadline if he's not moved earlier. So that would be and, – and I really do think objectively he's probably, even though there hasn't been a deal yet and, and what that could be reflective of the market like we talked about as well, I would still have to think he's objectively the best, you know, most tradable non, non-big non three guy, non-guy who's uh, part of the Sixers rotation that they're counting on guy. So – I would have to imagine he's part of any outgoing deal that, that does get done. Well, I think we know somewhere Charles Bassey is uh, searching the rosters on the internet of other teams to see where his next landing spot's going to be after that, Jake. <laughs> that will there be aggregated, go. my friend. That will be it aggregated. Prob- <laughs> it probably will. It probably will. <laughs> All right, man. Anything you want to plug or say or ask or insert the blank or fill in the blank here. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, of course. I'm proud of you, Jake. Fucking newsbreaker guy. Um, you know, you're 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 doing it. So uh, so I appreciate you having me on. And nothing nothing to plug. Listen to the podcast. The rights to Ricky Sanchez comes out three times a week now. Twice, twice, twice a week. But it That's feels more like, than it feels enough. Like three. It feels like three, honestly. <laughs> it feels like five for me. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I get it. All right, man. All right, man. Thank you again. Have a great night. You got it. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in. I will have an update on the next show when I do. Got to figure it out, but I'm pretty sure I'll have a cool guest for Friday if they are a man of their word. So thanks, everyone. Thanks to Spike. Take care. Good night.